On Tuesday, I was privileged to speak at a church in Hampton, Virginia. They've had 14 days of fasting and prayer, and they broke it with a Sunday through Wednesday spiritual emphasis. I was invited to bring the message on Tuesday night. Beforehand, I did a morning devotion with their staff, a leadership luncheon. And after that luncheon, one of the people there who I know asked if we could spend some time together. And he just opened his heart. And he said, there's, there's a part of my life that's never been better. But there's a part of my life that has truly never been worse. And it's even hard to see the good that is happening for the intensity of this circumstance in our life. It's affecting everybody in our family. And as, as I listened to him pour out his heart, I already had the deep sense that the Lord had me there to bring a message to the church. But I knew he had me there for that brother. What I said to him are words that are common. The difference was that they rose from my heart with such conviction that I was able to say to him, I'm telling you this by the word of the Lord. I looked at him and I said, you will get through this. He said, it won't be easy and it won't be quick, but you will get through this. I had the deepest conviction to say to him, this is hard to hear right now, but God's going to turn this for good. God will get the glory for this. Don't be foolish in the decisions you are about to make, but don't despair because I know that God is going to bring you through. All through that day, and I returned to my room that night after an incredible outpouring of God in that service on Tuesday night, and then woke up early Wednesday and started my way back to Oklahoma. It just resonated in me, that word. And I knew that the Lord wanted me to come back and say to every one of you that I love so much, whether I've ever spent five minutes with you, what happens in a pastor's heart is that you love people even if you don't know them very well. When God called us three years ago to become the pastors of this church, Kelly and I loved you before we ever got here because God put that in our heart. And knowing that, that sense of love that I have for every one of you, the Spirit of the Lord just put it like fire in my soul to stand here today and to look at every one of you like I looked at my friend on Tuesday and say to you, you will get through this. Now this, by the number of people in this room, and the number of people I talked to in the three gatherings, means a lot of different circumstances. So whatever that is for you, I just want to say to you, and I, I don't say it as just a word from me, I, I believe I'm saying this to you as a pastor who loves his church and has a word for his church, you will get through this. You will get through this. I want to put a, a statement on the screen that God gave me for you. And I want you to make it a declaration. I want us to read this out loud together and with a sense of conviction. We'll read it at the end of the sermon. And I believe as the word goes to work, we'll have even greater faith at the end to declare it even th than we do right now. Are you ready? Let's begin. I'll get through this. It won't be painless. 
it won't be quick. God will use this crisis for good. I won't be foolish or naive, but nor will I despair. With God's help, I know I will get through this. Now let's praise him in advance that that is true. I will, I will, and you will get through this. To look at my friend after he bore his heart, and I can just tell you that the crisis of his life is intense. Knowing where he is right now, my heart's been in prayer for him all day, because today's a, a transitional day for him. My prayer for you, realizing the kind of situations that some of you are dealing with, means that I wouldn't stand in front of you and say that just as some glib, quick response. Where do I get off saying to you that I know you will get through this? I find it in the scriptural support of the person who's written more about in the book of Genesis than any other person. And the lesson starts when he finds himself in a place that he never thought possible. His name is Joseph. We'll begin our reading in Genesis 37, and I encourage you to please take your Bibles. And we'll begin at verse 23, and here's what the scripture says. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him, and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. There's the context. A young man, about 17, taken by his very own brothers, thrown into this pit. He's there in the bottom of that pit. The lower you go in a pit like that and reach the bottom, the more narrow it becomes. So he's cramped and he's screaming. He's screaming for his life. We know that because... Genesis 42, 21 that you'll see on the screen says of his brothers, we saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life. Please don't take this like when I was a kid, my friends and I would go out in this wooded area near our house. We would dig a hole literally about five feet deep and pretty big around and then we would take the pine needles that were everywhere on the ground and little thin sticks and put it across the hole put the pine noodles on top where it looked like just everything else and stand behind a hole and scream for our friends to come over and hang out with us so that they fall in the hole. Now that's mean and that's sinister and they would fall in the hole but as soon as they were in, they were back out. There was no threat of death. Joseph, he's 17 and he is so emotionally tormented by this situation, he's screaming for his life. And his brothers are so messed up in their dysfunction that while he's pleading for his life, it says, but we wouldn't listen. These are the sons of, jo uh, of Jacob, the grandsons of Abraham. Now, God's going to work in them so marvelously that they end up being, uh, letting their name be used for the 12 tribes of Israel. They're going to have a very special like plaque in heaven with all of their names on it. But I want to tell you, at this point, we don't find them as material for heaven or to name a nation. They're messed up. 
They are the portrait of dysfunction. Genesis 37 verse 4 says, They hated Joseph. You would have to to do what they did. So Joseph is thrown into this pit. Now, that's his circumstance. Those kind of circumstances are always unexpected. Difficulty at that level, disaster never calls ahead. It's unexpected. The unexpected diagnosis. The layoff from work. Betrayal. It's not only unexpected, but it's very unfair. Joseph's brothers abused him and then they abandoned him. When you've been thrown into a pit and you are screaming for your life, that is abuse. Then for them to walk away, the abandonment, that is unfair. Circumstances that some of you are going through right now are very unfair. And just take the word abuse and then abandonment and you can see where it applies to what you are going through. And then it leaves you with this uncertainty, this anxiety about the future because when your own family throws you into the pit, people you should be able to trust, then you're left with who can you trust. And you try to function in life with this net of skepticism that has fallen over your spirit. And it leaves you dysfunctional because you're uncertain of everything and everybody. It's interesting. When you get to this realization of where Joseph was, it's, it's heavy, it's, it's difficult. And as I was thinking about this message, knowing that right now the atmosphere would be like it is, it's kind of heavy in here. And along the way, when you're communicating, you realize you've got to lighten it up. And my, my best way to describe what Joseph's life was like came from a song from a show that I was raised on. This will date me, but it's the truth. The show was Hee Haw. <laughs> and, and after living here, one of the great friends I have in this congregation now took me and showed me where Roy Rogers lives. Clark. Did I say Rogers? <laughs> oh, God. Not him. Him. The other Roy. Roy Clark. So Roy Clark would sit there on the sofa with these other guys, and, and they would just have the most oppressive look on their face and they would start singing gloom, despair and agony on me deep, dark depression excessive misery here we go if weren't for bad I would have no gloom now right there Devin come on help me Devin I love it hee haw that's e-haul material right there. Because one of those guys, Devin, come up here. I, yeah, come up here. I, you did that. Come on. Come on. Hurry. Everybody put your hands again. Come on. You got to help me quick. You're taking my preaching time. Hurry up. <laughs> Thanks for the help. I know. He's like, here I was just encouraging my pastor. I'm with him, and this is what you get. I'll never, I'll never even say amen again. I'll say, here we go. Okay, stir around. Here we go. Here we go. Say, if it weren't for bad luck, no, no, do what you did over there. If it weren't for bad luck, 
because that's what they do. <laughs> One goes, oh, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom. Thank you, Devin. That was worth the whole sermon right there. That is the way you could describe Joseph's life because when you, when you track through the chapters of his life, the pit may have been the easier of the trials. Because when his brothers see this, these slave traders come by, in their abuse, they say, why, why would we leave him there to die? We can make money on him. They get him out of the pit for just the purpose of selling him into slavery. They go back, tell his dad, a wild animal has killed our brother, your son. Here's his coat. While they have money in their pockets, the dysfunction, and then if you know his story, it unfolds to prison and betrayal, wrongly convicted. The, the pit may not have been the most difficult. And yet Joseph navigates that. He gets through that. And it's his story that rose up in my heart as I said to my friend and as I say to you, you will get through this. What I learned from Joseph is found in the 50th chapter, verse 20. How did Joseph not get bitter? How did he not become so negative? How did he keep from the, the deep, dark depression? His circumstance was deep and dark, but he wasn't depressed. How did he keep from the excessive misery? How did he keep from an attitude that says, if it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Genesis 50, 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Now, the New American Standard used some words that I believe will help us get a picture of what God's saying here. Here it is in the NASB. As for you, Joseph is now, years later, talking to his brothers that threw him in the pit. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring me out of this, this present result to preserve many people alive. He's saying this to the very ones that threw him in the pit. How at that point is he not so bitter that he wants to let them die and be part of the death process? How does he not want revenge? How does he have the disposition, the attitude, the emotional equilibrium, stability to say, I have clarity. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Notice the word meant is used two times. As Joseph is saying this, he would not say it in English. He's saying it in Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. And so when you see the Hebrew meaning of the word meant, it opens up a picture of Joseph's concept of God, which was the catalyst for his ability to get through this. Same for us. The word meant in Hebrew gives the picture of a weaver, of a master weaver. And so what we're learning here is that Joseph was able to navigate that circumstance because his concept of God was one who could weave the good and the bad, the sunshine and the rain. He could weave it together into a tapestry 
of his design. Now I want you to think about that for a moment with me. He brought about good in Joseph's life. He he took the threads of pain and frustration and uncertainty and he weaved them together with that dream he had given Joseph. The talent he had given Joseph. The attitude he had given Joseph. And Joseph ends up being a prime minister. He was weaving the the threads of Joseph's character through the pit and the prison. God never wastes an experience. God redeems our history. God has a way of redeeming the deepest, darkest days. And rather than there being depression, it is woven into the tapestry of a life that He is creating. When we're in the pit, we have no concept of the palace, but God does. When we have a family so dysfunctional that they would abuse and abandon us, we have no concept that one day we would be the one that God would use to see the family reconciled and to end their days united. But God does. God does. This master weaver takes the destiny of our life, the mistakes, the sins, the sins we commit, the sins that others commit against us. And he produces and forms in us such a force of character that he can use us in a mighty way. God is seen in the eyes of Joseph as this master weaver. God comes and he takes all of this stuff and he does wonders. Now let's put it together with the rest of the verse. He says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. The present result was that Joseph was now prime minister and Joseph had a plan To provide for the nation in years of famine. To bring about this present result. To preserve many people. Notice the phrase. To bring about. To bring about in the Hebrew. Shows the picture of God as being master builder. And it's a unique picture of God being the one who constructs. The master builder. It's the picture of one who comes into a situation. And just takes what is there. He doesn't need all new material. Because he's a master builder. He sees what no one else can see. And he can do things with who you are and what you have. That no one else even thought possible. He can take the brokenness and the emotional challenge of being in a pit and then thrown in the prison having been wrongfully convicted he can take all of what must go on inside of a person going through that and construct something that is quite dynamic and influential our family has a a favorite show on the food network and it's restaurant impossible I don't know if you've ever seen it but the guy who who, who's like 
the main character of the show, he goes into these restaurants that are on the brink of shutting down. They're in debt. They can't figure out how to make the business succeed. And inevitably, the restaurant is really dated, dirty. It's just not a place that you think you could do anything with. And he comes in, and he starts to assess. And what he's going to do is take his team... And over a couple of days, they're going to completely remodel and renovate, refresh and restore and put that business back on its feet so that it can thrive. It's interesting when he talks to his designer, they always start with what they have. They talk about what they can't use, but then they talk about what they can use. And when you walk into the finished product, you can't even believe it's the same place. It is incredible. But yet as you look around, you do see that they incorporated into the entire remodeling project so much of what was already there. This guy and his team, they are masters. But when we talk about Jesus being the master builder, there's no one that even is a close second. And he can come into the brokenness and the despair of your life. He can come in with all of the pieces of your life that are broken. All of the, the dirty, dated emotions of your life. And where everyone else would say there is no hope. The master builder can use what is already there and bring in some new. And produce a you that you never thought possible. That is the good news of God's power available to us. So when, when we have this concept, it changes everything. Joseph saw God as master weaver and a master builder, and he's able to say, God meant it for good to bring about process, to bring about this present result. So those negative experiences are not isolated and unnecessary they get woven into who we are and become part of our story that God uses to influence other people. You, you see this unfolding, the master weaver, the master builder, and therefore, you get this perspective. When Joseph's road, everybody talks about Joseph's coat. We understand coat. It was a robe. When those brothers took that robe back to their dad, robe of many colors and now it's bloodstained and it sends him the message your son is dead. They're holding this robe and it says to them we'll never have to deal with our brother again. As far as anyone's concerned, he's dead. All they saw was a torn robe, but God saw a royal robe. They threw him in the pit and thought that's it. But God was thinking palace. Here you have these, these rebellious brothers, this dysfunctional family. I, I'm telling you, dysfunctional central. Don't ever be discouraged if you've got dysfunction in your family. Because I promise you, it's not as dysfunctional as this family. And God used them to name the tribes of Israel. Yes, thank God. And anybody who thinks you have no dysfunction... You do. 
I just identified it. It's called denial. Anyway, uh, we all do. We all do. We have, and here's this rebellious, dysfunctional family. No one had the idea that they would grow old together, united, that Joseph would be the one to initiate the reconciliation, to initiate the restoration. I wonder what the master weaver has in mind concerning you. I wonder what he's working on that's going to be, that, that's going to be brought into your, your life in the next week or the next month or the next year or the next five years. If you have this concept of master weaver and master builder, then you can hold on with this assurance. I will get through this. If you don't see God this way, here's what happens. You will be so stressed out because you will think you have to fix everything. There's nothing like the stress of trying to fix something that's really out of your control. We all know that. We've all tried that. If we don't have this concept of God that Joseph had, we will have a, a view of problems that they're huge. And our view of God will be that he's small. And we will live in the anxiety. And we will come to church. And though we're singing, I am redeemed. And it is well. Declaring who God is in his character, the great I am. Though we're singing those words with our mouth, our real song is gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive. It never changes. It never changes. It never changes. Some of you fought another week of heavy oppression on your life. And you're doing church again. And it's not even entering your mind that this week will be any different than last week. You've already just settled that your past will be your future. And we go through this motion called church because somehow you honor that you should be here, but you've lost hope in what you've been doing today. Excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, you wouldn't have any luck. That's the way we get when our concept of God is not that of master weaver and master builder. So what are we to do? We are to be reminded that this is the very nature and character of God that we see through Scripture. And so as I go over some of these, maybe it will encourage you. Maybe it will cause something to resonate within you. you. You may find yourself going, yes, amen. You, you may shock yourself at how you respond over the next two, couple minutes. And you may shock me. But, but I'm always into surprises. It's all right for a truth to resonate within you. And you respond to that with a sense of excitement and faith. Now I want you to think about this. What I'm about to say to you, you've heard. But, but let the Spirit impact it to your heart. The Israelites were brought through the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh had released his best men and 600 chariots. 
And they are going to destroy the Israelites. And they have them hemmed in. They are coming from behind. And the Red Sea is in front of them. And there is no way. But the word of the Lord is, I will bring you through this. And the Spirit of God started to move. And it rolled the water back on the left and the right. So that the way that before them was, was not even the least bit moist. They walked across on dry ground. And then when they came through, when Pharaoh's men were at just the right place trying to pursue, God closed the water on that Egyptian army and then said to the Israelites, this enemy you see today, you will see no more forever. I love the wording of that. God brought them through. That's his nature. When you come to Daniel, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. He's not protected from the lion's den. He's not kept from the lion's den. We would like to be kept from the lion's den. He was thrown into the lion's den, but God showed up and brought him through the lion's den so that not one of them even touched him. God said, I'll cancel you like beauty and the beast. You come to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are thrown into the furnace. They're not kept from the furnace. They are bound by Nebuchadnezzar's men, and the furnace is turned up seven times hotter. They are thrown into that furnace, and it wasn't long till Nebuchadnezzar's looking at the furnace. He's a good ways back. If you got too close, just the heat would kill you. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at his men and says, How many did you throw into the fire? They said, My Lord, we threw in three. He said, I see four. And we know that that fourth one was likened unto the Son of God. It was the very presence of Jesus with them in the fire. And he brought them through so that when they came through the fire, they weren't burned. They didn't even smell like smoke. You just walk by a fire that's burning and... You know you walk by that fire. They didn't even smell like smoke. And the ropes that were binding them when they went in had been loose. The only change was they went in bound and they came out free because God brought them through the fire. Through the fire. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Here's a good verse for you. And when you see the word through, shout it with me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. We have a God who by character and nature has proven time and time again that he is a way maker. I say to you by the word, you will come through this circumstance by the word of the Lord. Receive it in your heart today. You will come through. One observation people have made over the years is that you know, when Nebuchadnezzar looked in the furnace, he knew he had thrown in three. There were four, but only three came out. Everybody can do their take on why not four, because the fourth man, many have said, he stayed there for all of us who would have our 
fiery trials so that the same God who brought them through would be there to bring us through. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who shut the mouths of the lions. The God who brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace is the same God that is with us right here and right now. He is still a way maker. It is still his character and nature to deliver. I don't care how tough it is. God is weaving and God is building. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works preordained before you were even born. God is up to something great in your life. He will bring you through. He will bring you through. Praise His name. Now I want to put the quote on the screen. Let's go to the quote and I want to break this down and then let's pray together. I'll get through this. So what the Lord gave me for my friend, I said it won't be painless. When your brothers throw you in a pit, when you're abused and abandoned by people you feel you should be able to trust. When you are betrayed, when you are wrongfully condemned, it is painful. I want to be very real. I want this just to be material that makes for a good sermon. When you're sitting one-on-one with your friend and they're going through the greatest crisis of their life, there must be reality. To stand before you, there must be authenticity. There must be a present reality to this word. And it is, you will get through this, but it won't be painless. And it won't be quick. I know that God can do it in a day. And he may. But Joseph was thrown into the pit when he was 17. He was then sold into slavery. He then exceeds and, and gets to be the administrator of Potiphar's house. His wife tries to seduce him. And then she lies and and has him thrown into prison and when he's 37 he becomes prime minister which was the dream God gave him as a teenager he didn't understand what it meant he just saw leadership he saw influence and when he told that dream to his brothers they got mad and threw him into prison be careful who you share your dream with he was 37 So I'm not saying it will be quick, but God will use this for good. Now notice this next phrase, I won't be foolish or naive. I think this is an important encouragement to us. Here's the reason. In times of crisis, it makes us sitting ducks for stupid decisions. You study people that end up with life-controlling problems, Families that broke into pieces. And often it has its roots in a crisis. And when they were going through the crisis, they lost sight of God being the master weaver and builder. And it's a very honest place to be. And you just say, where is God? And Obviously God doesn't care, and so you quit caring, and so you can make horrible decisions if you're not careful. Joseph, when he is tempted by Potiphar's wife, think what could have gone into his mind. His dad and everyone who really knows him, they think he's dead. 
He's done nothing but honor God and honor his employer. Now he's being falsely accused and he's going to go to prison. Why not just sin? Who's going to know anyway? And who cares because anyone who has any connection to you, they think you're dead. And yet, with all of those potential thoughts that could have been in his mind, he didn't make the stupid decision. He wasn't foolish. Don't be foolish. We're vulnerable when we're hurting. When we're walking out the valley, when we're in the pit. Get that prayer support and that accountability. Because Satan is not content until you're destroyed. He doesn't care that we're unhappy. He doesn't even care that we're hurting. He wants us destroyed. So if while we're hurting, he can dangle something in front of us to maybe ease the pain that would really only complicate the situation, he will do it. Don't be foolish, but don't despair. Don't despair. The master weaver and the master builder is doing a work. And with God's help, I know that I will get through this. The crisis can be a greenhouse for growth. Or it can be a place for evil to get a stronghold in your life. If today you can have the right view of God, here's what we learn. I know this, is, this comes from my own story. As I look back at the intense circumstances of life, as they happened, I prayed that God would change the circumstance. And as I look back, I see that first of all, God wanted to change me. And if I move with this concept of who he is, as we learn from Joseph's story. Even, and listen to this, because I think this is a word to somebody here. When you feel you're hanging by a thread. Some of you came in here today and that's all that's left. You're hanging by a thread. By what we've learned today, that's all God needs. As a master weaver take you into the person. You would see that you're hanging by a thread and it's a thread of hopelessness and weariness, fatigue, frustration, and pain, and it's about to break. God sees it as a key ingredient that when mixed with the other ingredients of your life, he sees it as a piece of framework that can still be used in this remodeling project. He sees it as a critical piece. I know that the time this has been unfolding, it's difficult. But you see, master carpenters, they don't go in in a day. They, they are doing, they're putting the upgrades. The Holy Spirit is putting the upgrades to your life. The texture. The substance that makes you this winsome, this attractive witness of who God is as people see how the author of your life has scripted your life 
and painted such an incredible portrait, built such an incredible life through the good times and the bad. If you're hanging by a thread, with all of my heart I say to you, you will, you will get through this. All things work together. Not each thing can be considered good, but when they are woven into all of the experiences of your life, when that material is put into the other materials that the Lord will use, He makes of you something incredible. Something beautiful, something good, the song says. All my confusion, He understood. All I had to offer Him was brokenness and strife. But He made something beautiful of my life. As I gave this word at the 9 o'clock gathering, I watched as about 20 or so people came forward. I know of one family that came forward, and I'm telling you, they are in the crisis of their life. I had no idea they would even be here today. But God did. And God spoke to them. And they know they're coming through. And God says to you, He will bring you through. You hear that by the word of the Lord. And the same presence that began to sweep over the Red Sea, that brought about the way, that moved into a lion's den and shut the mouths of the hungry lions, that somehow caused the flames in the furnace to not burn those teenagers, is the same presence that has moved in with a bring you through kind of power. Open your heart and receive what you need from God today. Let's pray.